When I work out at the gym, I usually count down when lifting weights or doing a repetitive exercise. Counting down lets me know how many I have to endure before I can rest. With each countdown, three more, two more, one more, I am encouraged by the progress and so look forward to that rest at the end. In this episode of Groundwork, we encounter John who is seeing a fantastic vision of our Lord and receives practical encouragement to know that as time comes closer to the end of all things, Christians can press on knowing that the eternal rest with God is in the future that is promised. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Scott, we are continuing in our series on the book of Revelation. This is episode three. And in the first episode, we gave an intro to the series and study of how Revelation begins in the first chapter. And then episode two, we had Dr. Jeff Wyman come and talk about the seven letters. Right. And those uh, seven letters to the seven churches, or Dr. Wyman called them sermons, that took up Revelation two and three. And so now we're going to move on directly to, in this episode, Daryl, we're going to be looking at Revelation. Revelation 4 and 5. And uh, there's a lot of stuff in Revelation. There's 22 chapters, but I think it's safe to say, Daryl, that some of what we're going to look at today in Revelation 4 and 5 are probably some of the parts of Revelation that are the best known and the best loved of the whole book. I do believe you're referring to the visions that John is going to get. And most people, when they think of Revelation, they think of these visions. I was thinking about, too, when we get into this chapter, we're going to see some of those visions. So when I went to Kuiper College, I took a class called Biblical Interpretation. And in that class, we read a book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee. And in that book, it explained that there, you can't just read the Bible from beginning to end and expect it to be just one particular genre. There are many different genres in the Bible. There is the wisdom literature. There's the historical narrative. There is the prophetic apocalyptic literature, which is what we're getting into today. And that book that Gordon Fee gave us, he told us that there were different ways that you need to read in the scripture, allow the scripture to read into you. And it can't be interpreted all the same way. Yeah, one of the things that uh, you learn in seminary about hermeneutics, right, which is a big, long word for interpreting the Bible. (laughs) I always compare hermeneutics uh, to being like a toolkit. You know, you've got maybe five different kinds of screwdrivers, and you've got pliers, and you've got wrenches. And depending on what the job is, you need to reach for a different tool. Uh, And different parts of the Bible require different hermeneutical or interpretive tools. So when you've got a poem, like in the Psalms, well, that's a certain type of screwdriver. When you got a literal narrative, like in the Gospels, that's another type of tool. And when you get apocalyptic, that's different again. Uh, and that's so important to remember, Daryl, because one of the things that I, I heard somebody named Martin Marty noted one time that the book of Revelation is the one book of the Bible that is clearly presented as almost like a dream vision. Yeah. And yet the irony is that it's also the one book of the Bible that people try to interpret literally. <laughs> but everybody knows you can't quite interpret dreams and visions literally that requires a different interpretive approach. So we know that in history, mistakes have been made when we've tried to treat apocalyptic literature like Revelation as though it were a straightforward narrative like the Gospel of Mark. Yeah, and uh, the apocalyptic literature, apocalyptic 
is just a fancy word for revelation. Um, and scholar Brad Nelson defines apocalyptic literature as a genre of revelatory scripture in which revelation is mediated by an otherworldly being to a human recipient, disclosing a transcendent reality. In other words, John has brought heaven into earth. He's brought us into heaven to see what's going on, but it has a cosmic perspective to it, but it has earthly implications. And so what you talked about, Scott, is how we need to avoid certain pitfalls because there is a a tool, a device called allegory where you try to find a one for one Mm, code reference for what it is. St. Augustine did this allegory for him when he talked about the Good Samaritan, which is uh, something he used to interpret, okay, this is what means, this means this man is half dead, this is humans half dead, this is the gospel that needs to be preached to them. And it and you can't do that when you're doing when you're actually interpreting Revelation because you'll come to an erroneous self imposed solution that will move you far away from the intended meaning. Exactly. So we want to get into Revelation uh, chapter four here and want to bear all that in mind in terms of how we interpret it. But let's listen to what John says on the island of Patmos. Again, the irony here, Daryl, is that the Romans exiled John to keep him away from Jesus, but Jesus found him on the island. And so John writes this in Revelation four. After this, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing, and these were the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center around the throne, there were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the flying creatures give glory, honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will there were created and they have their being. So, Scott, we see that John is having a hard time trying to explain in his human nature what is happening and God is blowing his mind with his vision. Mm-hmm. So he says it's like this. It's, it has an appearance of that. And he is trying his best to explain what is happening. Really powerful. It's amazing what he writes, but uh, yeah, you get the sense he's just doing his best because what he is seeing is nothing anybody has ever seen. And so he is conveying this. What I like here, uh, some years ago, Daryl, I worked on a book on um, Christian stewardship of the environment, kind of celebrating the physical creation of God. And one thing I noted uh, in this chapter here, so this is the first heavenly song John hears here in Revelation 4, but it's not about redemption. It's about creation. The first thing for which they say you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power for you created 
all things. So that is uh, elevating the importance of creation. In the next chapter, which we're going to get to in a few minutes in Revelation 5, then we get, for you redeemed all things. But first he gets praise for creating all things. And as we're going to see uh, further into this series, though Revelation may be a, a heavenly vision, Again and again in this book, we see the importance of the physical creation of God where we live right now. And this is the first time that we see that. It's a beautiful thing. And not only do we get the idea that this is the creator, but this creator is other and in a class by himself. Mm-hmm. There's no one that can be compared to him. And we, we pray, we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. This is the one who has no match. He is in and of himself holy and other than us. And as we talk about this matchless God who is in a class by himself, we want to continue to dig into scripture. So stay tuned. What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit familyfire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships. At familyfire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an in-law. Join the community and be encouraged at FamilyFire.com. You're listening to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Scott, we have been looking at the magnificent vision that John is having right now and that is blowing his mind. He's struggling to try to explain it. And we are looking at what he has seen that no one has ever seen before. So he's trying his best to write it down. But the good news is he got it. And that is what is encouraging us as believers today. So we're looking at that vision that he saw in Revelation chapter 4. And here's something that's important to point out, Daryl. So he saw that throne uh, that we just, you know, had described for us in, in those majestic terms with lightning and peals of thunder and, oh, my goodness, so, so many things that John saw. But sometimes I think when we read Revelation 4 and 5, we think that John is seeing the future. But it's pretty clear that he is seeing the worship in the throne room of God that's happening right now. Yes. What God did was peel back the curtain to show him what's going on now. Yeah. So whenever we worship God here in church on Sunday or anywhere we are, there, when we worship God, we are participating in something that's already going on in heaven. So again, what John sees is now, not what's going to happen later, later, later. No, this is what's going on. 24-7, to put it in earthly terms, in the heavenly throne room. And that's a very exciting thing, that we are always joining in with the ongoing, incessant worship in heaven. Now, you know, as a pastor, Scott, that is the aspect of Reformed theology that we believe, thy kingdom come, thy will be mm-hmm. done on earth as it is right now in mm-hmm. heaven. So we're actually participating with heaven and the worship that they're doing right this moment. And we invite people into that worship space each week when we go into worship on Sundays. So the idea that John is seeing this real time, it is happening right now, that is something that we need to be reminded of. It's a beautiful thing. I think it's interesting, too, that I've often thought, Daryl, that in that part of the Lord's Prayer, I, I sometimes think when we get to the on earth as it is in heaven, we only apply that to thy will be done. Right. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We want to follow the God's law. No, it's both of those things. Thy kingdom come. 
on earth as it is in heaven. So we want glimmers of the kingdom, not just God's will being done, both. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done, both on earth as it is in heaven, as it is in heaven right now, so that we participate in all of that. But let's jump ahead now, Daryl, to the next chapter. This vision continues. John's going to hear a new song, and for that we go to Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So again, Daryl, John here trying to write down what's almost unwritable, this amazing vision of this lamb. And, you know, I've seen a lot of stained glass windows with the lamb of God from this vision. I've actually not seen too many where they actually show a lamb with seven eyes and seven horns. It's usually just kind of like a lamb with two eyes. But John's vision was a little wilder than that. But again, it's all very um, interpretive and apocalyptic here. Also interesting, first, The one worthy to open the scroll is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. But when John looks, it's not a lion. It's a lamb, a lamb that had been dead. Yeah. So there's two things that stuck out to me, Scott. One was the actual scroll. Mm -hmm. Back in the day when they wrote on scrolls, I don't think they wrote on both sides. So the fact that this scroll has both sides means that scholars believe that this is the full and final revelation of what is to come that is written down for John to see. And back in the day when they had emperors or kings, they would put their signet ring in Mm. wax and they would put the symbol on there and say, no one can open this by decree unless the king or the emperor declared it. And so this is the actual symbol that is happening here in the vision. And then the one who is worthy to open it is the one who had been slain. So it's actual redemption and finished work on the cross gives him the stripes, if you will, Mm. to be able to open this scroll and give this revelation. Exactly. You did it, they are saying. You are worthy because you died. And and we know that the word crucifixion isn't in here, but we know exactly, of course, we are referring to the crucifixion, the death of Jesus, and then the death he overcame by being raised by the power of God from the dead. And that is what has brought us our atonement, uh, our redemption from every tribe on heaven and on earth. And as that marvelous fact is sinking in, in verse 11, just listen to how this goes. 
Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Daryl, a friend of mine, uh, Trig Johnson, who is the dean oh, of the yeah. chapel at Hope College in Holland, Michigan, he preached on this one time a few years ago at the worship symposium at Calvin. When he read this passage and he had it memorized, he let his voice build and build and build as he read this because we go from just a few people yeah. singing to then a thousand angels and then ten thousands upon ten thousands and then everybody in the creation and in the ocean. And I mean, this just gets to be deafening. It's a crescendo of praise. It's a really beautiful thing, and it's the appropriate response for those who see the one who has been slain. So they're thinking about what Christ has done. They're reminding each other all the time of what Christ is doing, and they actually worship. That is the appropriate response for those who remember who God is and what God has done. And all the creation is doing that. And there's no fear. They're surrounded by angels and elders. And also the choir is a beautiful thing. Can mm. you imagine hearing that, Scott? Oh, my goodness. It does defy our imagination. And as with all these visions, as you put it earlier in this program, Daryl, mind-blowing. It had to just be mind-blowing for John to not only see this glory, but as you said, here, a choir of all creation and 10,000 times 10,000 angels. This is what's going on in heaven right now. So what's it mean for our lives right now? Well, as we wrap up the program in just a moment, we'll ask that very question. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork. And we've seemed to cover a lot of ground in this one, but we want to get to why this was so important and the so what of this passage. It might be good to kind of situate where John is as the person. So it's important to know that you said it earlier. We talked about it earlier that he has been exiled to the island of Patmos by the Roman officials and Roman government. They're becoming more and more powerful. They're persecuting Christians for almost everything. And it's very hard for Christians to navigate that. And sometimes they're even killed for their faith. And this place, they thought they were going to send John to, so that he could die. But God and Jesus Christ sent a Revelation right there in the middle of that place. The Romans exiled John to show who's in charge. We'll show you who's in charge, John. Boom, you're in exile. And while he's in exile, who does he see? 
the one who is really in charge. And guess what? It ain't Caesar. Yeah. Um, it is the Lamb of God. So John put then this place as a sign of Rome's ultimate authority is shown that Rome is nothing. The real authority is our God in Christ. And what a, what a glorious thing to remember that God is always in control. So that's one of the main lessons that we too, in our, our life, right, Daryl, when we encounter difficult days and seasons of loss and tragedy, seasons when the powers that be in this world seem to be preeminent, we too, along with John, can remember, no, it's the Lamb on the throne right now. That's who's really in charge of the universe. And when we're in free fall or when we feel like things are kind of crazy, we can remember that Jesus Christ is still on the throne, that he's still running things. It's one of the prayers that I pray a lot. You are Mm. complete control of every situation. But we also realize that another thing is important is that living for Christ is definitely worth it, even if it leads to death. I mean, Paul writes this in Philippians 1 verse 20 says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now Now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether in life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Scripture says to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because we see that lamb on the throne, we know even when we die, as Jesus said to Martha, the the tomb of Lazarus, if you believe in me, you will never die even when you die. (laughs) I'm not going to say you aren't going to die on this earth, but that's not the end of the story. We live for Christ and uh, Paul in Philippians there, you know, just said, boy, you know, if I die, I'm going there and that's better. I'll stay here with you for a while uh, and labor among you. But, you know, that is our hope even uh, in death. I think another thing that's important to take away, Daryl, from uh, Revelation 4 and 5 that we've looked at in this program is a reminder that, again, it seems like sometimes our struggles and the battles we fight in this life are against just other people, flesh and blood, governments, you know, corrupt authorities. But our battles are finally spiritual. Paul reminds us of that in another letter. This is from Ephesians 6. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Pull on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. So again, for John, the Romans who exiled him, they weren't his real enemy. The real enemy is the devil, spiritual forces, things that try to make us doubt the reality of the lamb on the throne. We need to battle against that. And God has provided us with the spiritual armor, as it were, to withstand it. We put on that full armor each and every day so that we can stand. And I love that. It's very encouraging to know. It helps us keep this uh, battle in perspective as well, because I could make the neighbor the enemy. I could make the news the enemy. I could make the government the enemy. But the spiritual wickedness behind some of those things is the real enemy coming from Satan himself. And then the, uh, another thing that is important for us to know is that this book isn't designed to freak out Christians or make them afraid. This book is designed to <laughs> comfort Christians and let them know that God has an expected end for all creation and it ends with the victory and a unity with God and one another. And that is a very powerful thing that we get to look forward to. 
And I liked what you said just now, Daryl, that Revelation isn't supposed to scare us. That's not what this book is here for. It's supposed to be a source of great comfort. We know who is on the throne. We know who is in charge. So just as John, in the middle of a maybe a lonely place of exile, where probably he died, ultimately, on that island alone, he was shown a vision of great comfort. Mind-blowing, as we've said. But he's been shown that there will be a time when there won't be any more sadness or sickness or evil or race or Alzheimer's disease or cancer, we have hope. And it helps us in this time, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, it helps us literally to stand. John is not the only one that needs that encouragement. The first Mm. century Christians that he wrote to needed that encouragement. And we here today need that encouragement. Even though it's not here fully, we are actually seeing glimpses of it each and every day. And it's a beautiful thing for us to see that God and his revelation is the fullness of his plan being spoken and it's coming. And we have a knowing and loving God who works all the details out for our favor, for his good, and he gets all the glory. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We hope you'll join us again next time as we continue walking through our study of Revelation with an examination of chapters 7 through 17. Meanwhile, connect with us now at our website, groundworkonline.com. Share what Groundwork means to you and make suggestions for future Groundwork programs. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information and to find more resources to encourage your faith. We're your hosts, Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.